Amen. What a blessing to have Dylan Shook and his family. And it's uh, having him here ministering to us. What a blessing. Um, I, I'm so excited that we are able to have one of my good friends, Gary Bill. Known him for 10 plus years. And he called me and said, I'm coming through, I'm coming through Colorado. Would you like to have me come? And I got, and you know, many of you know that my grandmother passed away. I ended up actually seeing Gary and hearing him preach back in South Carolina. And after uh, hearing him just presenting the gospel so clear and concise, I was, I, I was more than ready to have you come, brother, and share the good news with everyone that was coming today. So it's great to have all of you here. Brother, you come and you share the good news with us. I'm going to borrow a chair here in case I get tired and want to sit down or something. Take your Bible, open her up if you would to 1 Timothy, and find chapter number 2. By the music we've had, it started with the Awana Club, to be honest with you. Everybody ought to know. Never were truer words sung. And then the ministry of the Shook family. I found out the woods is full of shooks around here. I think the first 25 people that came in the door I shook hands with, and I'm so-and-so shook, and I'm so-and-so shook. And I should tell the pastor, if you make anybody mad here, Brother Pastor, don't make the shook family mad, okay? It's a joy to be here. I'm on a round trip through the West. I've been gone two months next Monday from home. And that's too long, by the way. I found out. I thought I could handle that. And me and the wife agreed, nope, not again. We're not going to go that, that long. But uh, I'll be heading in the morning east toward Ohio, where I'm preaching next weekend. Then I'll get home a week, hopefully a week from tomorrow, and looking forward to that. But I didn't come here to tell you about my shenanigans and my travelings. I came here to tell you about that man that they spoke or sang about. Whether or not you know that man is everything. There's nothing in your life that compares with knowing the man, Christ Jesus. With that in mind, I call your attention to 1 Timothy 2. Let's just read a couple of verses Paul here is writing his spiritual son, Timothy, to encourage him to pray. Read a couple of verses. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Here's a request by the old preacher Paul that Timothy would give himself to prayer for all men and for kings, presidents, congressmen, governors, mayors. The reasons he lists in verse 3 and 4. Don't miss the reason. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. God thinks it's good 
who, that's God our Savior, will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I can say honestly this morning, based upon the Bible, that God wants you to be saved. He's not an exclusive God in that He wants to exclude people from heaven. He is an inclusive God. He wants every man, woman to be saved. If you end up dying unsaved, you will do that Contrary to what God wants for you. He wants you to be saved. And the next two verses are what I'm going to speak on for a few minutes. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man. The same man they sang about. Christ Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Let's pray. Father, this is your house and your day and your people. God, I'm your man speaking your words, depending on your Holy Spirit to do the work here. Father, you've said in these verses we've just read that it's your will, it's your desire, that every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room would be saved. And I pray, God, today, if anyone's come in that's not yet saved, this would be the day your will is fulfilled by them putting their trust in the one you sent to be their mediator. I pray in Christ's name, amen. The title of the thoughts is God's Only Mediator. What is a mediator? We usually hear about mediators when uh, the NFL goes on strike or the players of the Major League Baseball go on strike. The players want more money. They want better contracts. They want more insurance. You You get the picture. The owners are reluctant to give more money. They're reluctant to give more time off. You get the picture. Uh, A mediator is, according to Webster, one who reconciles differences between opposing parties. That's why I put the two chairs up here. Just picture the Major League Baseball owners sitting in this chair and the, the Players Association and the representing all the players in this chair, and they are at odds. They are opposed. This group wants more money. This group doesn't want to give the money. we got a problem. There's a breach. There's a chasm. There's a wall. They're separated. They won't agree. They won't work together. And so the government usually appoints someone to come in, like in a position I'm in, and mediate between the two. Talk with the owners. Meet with the owners. Find out their wishes. Encourage them to be willing to compromise a little. Then to go the next week and meet with the Players Association and all the representatives and 
Try to get them to see they could get by with a little less than $3 million a year each. We won't get into that, okay? It's ridiculous what they pay ball players in this country. School teachers are about starving to death, but ball players are filthy rich. Well, we won't, that's not the sermon. Get off of it. But the mediator works between the two parties, and he, he tries to bring about a reconciliation. Now forget the players and the owners, but think on the work of a mediator. He has contact with both parties, and he's working to bring reconciliation. Now notice in verse 5, the clients of God's only mediator. You see, God has appointed a mediator to work out the differences between two opposing parties. And we find out who the two opposing parties are in verse 5. There is one God, that's one of the parties, and one mediator between God and men, that's the other party, the man, Christ Jesus. God whom we'll say is in this chair, and mankind in this chair. God has appointed a mediator to work out the difference between God and men. Now the God described in verse 5 is the God of the Bible. Oh friend, listen, don't get your concept of God from television and what they say God is. The only real concept of God is found in God's Word, His revelation to us. What do we know about this party that has appointed the mediator? God is holy. With God, there's no shadow of turning. There's no shadow. There's no shade. There's no deceit in God. God is holy. God is right. God is just. God is love. God is mercy. God is kindness. God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. This is God. We're not used to dealing with persons like God. He's holy and undefiled. And God, the Bible says, hates sin. That's He's appointed one mediator, go-between, which we'll look at, between himself and men. And opposite of God, men are by nature wicked. They inherited that from their forefather, their federal head Adam. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Remember, the God of the Bible hates sin. The God of the Bible set the wages of sin as death, separation from Him. That's why we have this breach. Because God's holy, and men are not, we are not. Adam disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, Romans teaches. As our federal head and representative, when Adam sinned, you sinned, and I sinned. 
And He plunged our whole race of men into sin. And from the time of Adam's sin on, every child born since Adam has come with a sin nature. And if people don't believe that, you need to volunteer to work in the church nursery some. (laughs) And you'll see sin at its very core stage. Little Billy has a pile of toys around his feet, but little uh, uh, Timothy over here has a bright red fire engine he got out of the toy box. And little Billy, though he's got toys piled up chest high around him, he sees the little red fire engine that Timothy has, and he pushes all the toys aside and goes over there and jerks a, a, a knot on Timothy's head because he wants his fire engine. Now, nobody at home taught him to be a selfish pig. Nobody taught him, son, whenever you have a pile of toys and you see somebody else with a pile of toys, you go over there and kick him in the mouth and you get what you want. Nobody taught that kid that way. He came from the factory that way. And the reason he came as a sinner is because even before he was born, he was a sinner. David said that he was conceived in sin. When David became an embryo in his mother's womb, and by the way, life starts in the womb, not in the delivery room. That's why abortion is nothing less than murder. David said that he was conceived in sin. When the sperm and the egg came together and formed an embryo, and he became a living soul in his mother's womb, He was already a sinner. By his nature, he inherited from Adam. And that's why when David was born and they took him to the nursery, he wanted somebody else's fire engine. Two opposing parties, a holy God who is love and justice and mercy and goodness and faithfulness. And we men that are born fighting for other people's fire engines. Depraved, natural, selfish. The Bible even says that we are the aliens of God. We are enemies of God. The Bible uses all these terms to describe a man as he is born. Natural, not spiritual. Natural. Unable to even discern the things of God. Now, I want to tell you, I did not get saved until I was 20. And I lived that out to the full. So the two opposing parties are God and sinful man. Let's move on. What about the mediator? There's one God, verse 5, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Let's consider the one that God appointed to bring about a reconciling of Himself with sinners. We're told that He is only one. In other words, God did not appoint numerous mediators. There was no mediatorial board set up. You know, when one mediator fails to get the NFL owners and the NFL players back together working again, When one mediator fails, the government might yank him back to Washington and send another one they think might get the job done. 
Folks, that's not the way it is with God and men. God has designated one mediator. One. And so if men are to be reconciled to God, they will go through God's only mediator. One mediator between God and men. In the day that Paul wrote this to Timothy, they were fighting a false cult called Gnosticism. And the cult of Gnosticism taught that there was one God, but there were numerous mediators between God and men. They could go through different channels. Even today, we hear people talk about it this way. They say, well, preacher, you know, there's one God, but there's lots of religions And all these religions that are sincere about reaching God, it doesn't matter how their idea of approach is to God. As long as they're sincere and they believe in God, whether they come this way or go that way, or they come through works, or they go through the prophet Muhammad, or they go through the Virgin Mary, or they they go this way, or they go that, as long as they're sincere, we're all going to get to God. That is not found in the Bible. It's not that I'm just some mad Baptist. That thinking is foreign to the Bible. You cannot, after church, show me that in the Bible. What is in the Bible is that God has appointed one mediator. One. Jesus said this Himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no sinful man comes to the Father but by Me. No man. The Scriptures say that. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is. None other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, Jesus Christ is the only hope for sinners to be reconciled to God. The Scriptures teach that. There's only one Gospel. God did not give many plans how men can come to Him if they choose. God gave one Gospel. That's defined in 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses, and that's this. Jesus Christ died for the sins of men. He was buried. He rose again the third day from the dead. And now He brings about forgiveness of men's sins before God through the shed blood He shed in their place. That's the Gospel. There's not two Gospels or three Gospels. There's one. That's why the Bible says, Paul told the church at Galatia, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The message Brother Pastor heard me preach in Anderson, South Carolina, was Jesus is the door. And in John 10.9, listen to what Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. A holy God. 
sinful men like you and I, Jesus Christ on the cross in between. I am the door. I'm the only passage to God. By me, through me, by faith in me, by accepting me, if any man hopes to be saved, he'll be saved by going through me. And so, the clients are a holy God and sinful men. The mediator's been identified as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, what about the work of the mediator? What has He done that we can be reconciled? You think about the NFL or the Major League Baseball. What does a mediator do that Washington appoints to work out the contract disputes between owners and ballplayers? What does a mediator do? Well, he goes, as I said, to one party, to the owners. He sits down with the owners, you know, and he says, look now, uh, the players mean well. They do have some legitimate concerns, and you know you all do make a lot of money, and uh, you could give up a little more, maybe lengthen their vacation and so forth. Don't you think you could maybe come off those demands a little bit? And, and the owner say, well, go talk to him. So he goes, sets up another meeting in another city another week, and he sits down with the representative of the Players Association. Now look, fellas, y'all are making a lot of money, and, and I've talked with the owners, and you know, I think they'll cough up a little more, and they're okay on that extended vacation in the summer and so forth, but... Don't you all think you could back off a little bit on such strict demands you have? Well, I guess we might. Well, we go back and talk. So he goes, you get the picture. Back and forth he goes, working with both parties, trying to get all of them, both of them, to compromise. But that parallel doesn't work with God and sinners. Because you see, God is holy. He's not a man. He's God. He's Creator God. He deserves the allegiance and the obedience of men. And if God said, okay, okay, they can commit three sins a week, but no more and I might be reckoned, that's not God. If that were God, He would not be God. God cannot sin. He cannot look on sin because He is God. He's holy and pure and He's wonderful. But He is holy. And He's just. And He means what He says. And He told Adam earlier, the day you eat, the day you disobey Me, you're going to die. You're going to be separated from Me. It's not what God wanted. It's what men chose. And so, Christ could not and would not, being God Himself, He would never even think of going to the Father and saying, Father, back off the holiness a little bit. No, no. God's holy, and that's the way it's going to be. And so, could Christ come to the sinner and say, Look, man, if you at least quit drinking, God might, you know, He might take you. And, and you know, listen, if you get involved in a soup kitchen and do some relief work and you know, be a volunteer. Go to the library and volunteer. Go to the hospital. Be a candy striper, man. Maybe, maybe God would look at all those good things and, and you're lying and you're deceiving and you're anger with your wife. Maybe He would... No. No. Because man's incapable of righteousness. Even if man did ten good things, he'd do something bad. He would sin. And the wages of one sin with God is death. So you say, well, how's a mediator like that? 
How are you going to work in a situation where you have such a holy God and such reprobate sinners? How can reconciliation be worked out? I'm glad you asked. Look at the Scriptures, verse 6. There's one God, we've already talked about Him, one mediator, that's Jesus, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Alright, let's see what He did. Who gave Himself a ransom for all. He gave Himself a ransom for all. What is a ransom? Somebody gets kidnapped and taken into bondage by some thugs. They send a ransom note to the parents or to the wife or to the husband and say, we have your wife, we have your husband, we have your kids. They are in our captivity. They are in bondage. They will die if you don't pay so many millions, so many thousand dollars. That's a ransom. Money paid to free a captive. Well, what is the ransom then that Jesus had to become in order to liberate men from their sins and bring about a reconciliation? It says, He gave Himself for all. God set the wages of sin as death. Men, you and I, we are natural born sinners. We are habitual sinners. The payment, the ransom is death. God demands death for sin. He has that right as God. He sent Jesus to die. There is no bargaining. The only thing that would satisfy God is death for sin. Men are incapable of not sinning, and so Christ jumped in between. And He took the wrath of His Father on Himself. And Christ died for me. And for you, He paid it all. We sing the song. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but on the cross He washed it white as snow. Listen to some Scriptures. Now, once in the end of the world hath He, that's Jesus, appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. More Scripture. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once Suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. That He might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. But quickened or made alive by the Spirit of God. One last scripture and then we'll come to a conclusion. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For He, talking about God, 
hath made Him, talking about Jesus on the cross, to be sin for us, who, Jesus, knew no sin, that we, sinners, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, friends, when Jesus died on the cross as our mediator, our sin was imputed to Him. Our sin was placed on Christ. And when we repent of our way, and we believe in the work of Christ for our souls, the righteousness of God through His Son is imputed to us. He took my sin. I got His righteousness. In the eyes of God this morning, I am a righteous man. Not because I'm practically righteous. I am growing in practical righteousness. But truth is, I'm still a sinner and so are you, saved by the grace of God. But judicially, and according to God, because His Son died for me and I've come and received His Son, the perfection of Jesus who knew no sin is now placed on my account. And when God looks down from heaven at me, He sees me through the shed blood of His Son. And I'm a just man. And God is my Father. And I am His child. And I have been reconciled. Have you? You say, preacher, I was born in church. No. You may have been raised in church, but being raised in church will not reconcile you to God. You say, well, I come from a long line of Christians. You can't go to heaven on their coattails. Every man's a sinner There's a holy God, and every man has to be reconciled one at a time, individually, through the mediator, who is Jesus Christ. I told you I got saved when I was 20. At the age of 20, my flesh and blood brother Chip drugged me to a revival meeting. Now, not physically, because I'm bigger than he is. But he stayed after me and prayed for me, and finally I agreed to go to a revival meeting, get this, in California of all places. Can anything good come out of California, borrowing a scripture from this morning? A Georgia boy at the time, all the way to California to travel in his truck with him across the country after he got out of the Coast Guard. It's a long story. My brother got saved in the service. He wanted me to be saved. He invited me out to travel with him, not so I could see the Grand Canyon and the Rocky Mountains. We saw all of that. He brought me out there to get me away from home and get me to where he could take me to church, and I could hear the gospel. I went to church that night, 20-year-old man, lived to drink, fight, and chase women. Just a good old red-blooded American boy, right? Lost. Undone. No idea how to get to heaven, or even if there was one. He took me into a church. He took me to see Jesus, like I taught in Sunday school. And I heard a Baptist preacher get up and preach the gospel. Just like I'm preaching to you. And at that time, the preacher got done and said, I'll give you an invitation. And if you know you need to be saved, you need to have your sins forgiven, I invite you to come. Get down here and pray. 
and believe in the mediator. Believe in the one that died for you. Believe God wants to save you. Turn from your wickedness and selfishness and come like a child and just believe in Christ as your Savior and He will save you and you will be reconciled. And I'm glad to report to you, I got up out of my pew, I pushed my brother out of the way, and I came forward. I didn't really know what to say. And unfortunately, nobody dealt with me. They just let me come to the altar. But I got on my face and I prayed a simple prayer like, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I know Jesus died for me. And I don't want to go to hell. And I want to, I want to be reconciled. Would you save my soul? And he did. And uh, now I'm doing something I never would have dreamed I'm doing. I'm preaching the gospel. Look at the last part of this and I'll land the plane. The end of verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for all. Look at this, what it says. To be testified in due time. In other words, in the right season, this mediator, this work that he did in giving himself, this will be a testimony to the world. And by the way, you want to know what you're involved in this morning here? I'm doing exactly what the Scripture predicted would be done. I am testifying of the only mediator that will save you. And it's in due season. You see, the reason you're here this morning is to hear the good news. That's why you're here. You say, well, I came to see my kid in the Iwana program. That's wonderful, and we're glad you did. Your kid's doing great. But I'll tell you the overall bigger reason you're here. It's to hear the good news. That God wants to save you. It's not His will any man die and go to hell. The holy, right, just God has a heart for sinners. And that's why He sent His Son to die in their place that they could be reconciled to Him. Paul said this to the church at Corinth, I determined not to know anything among you Save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This morning when I was wrestling with which message to preach in the pre-dawn hours over at the parsonage, I had many messages I could have preached and thought about and prayed about, but I came to that sober conclusion that God wanted me to preach this message about Jesus Christ being the mediator between Himself and each one of you here today. Now the only question is, have you been reconciled? Have you had your time with the Son of God? Have you come to the place in your life somewhere up in the past where you recognized you were a sinner? You had broken the Word of God. You were guilty. The wages of being a sinner was death, and that death includes hellfire. But God, who is love and mercy, Loving you, even when you were without any strength to save yourself, even when you were still a sinner, God sent His Son to die for you that His perfection could be put on your account and you and God could become father and child. That happens in a moment when you trust Christ. Let's bow for prayer. My friend, today I want to invite you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to help you with that if you'll let us. 
I cannot save you. I, I would never claim. I can't do that. I'm a sinner myself, saved by His grace. But I do know Him. And I know His Word. And I am His representative here this morning, along with Pastor and many others. And if you have never yourself personally received Christ by faith, by trust into your heart as your Savior, my friend, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be saved. If you don't know that you're saved, please listen to what I'm going to say. In just a few moments, we'll sing, we'll have the closing hymn, the church will be over and folks will move to the fellowship area for a big, nice meal and we'll have a great time. But let me encourage you right after the service to meet with me and Pastor over here in his study to the right. You'll see it when you lift your head in just a moment. And here's what's going to happen. If you'll come, we'll just sit down in a friendly, casual atmosphere. And I will, or Pastor, or his wife, or one of the women, we will lead you to Jesus Christ. We'll help you form a prayer that you can pray to God, accepting His Son as your Savior. D.L. Moody used to do this. He called it an after-meeting. And thousands came and were saved. The service got done and they made their way to a spot he had pointed out. Then they had just a short, brief after-time where sinners were led in prayer to receive Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to do that. It will require you, when the service ends, to tell your family, look, I'll be over in a minute. I need to talk to the preachers. And just simply coming, sitting down with us. We're not going to browbeat you. Listen, I, I wouldn't force you to do something you don't want to do because it wouldn't mean anything. It wouldn't count. This is what you want. This is what you recognize. This is what I had to come to. The end of my rope. And the, and the, the truth that God wanted to save me and I came. I didn't care what people thought. I didn't care that night because I cared more about being born again and about missing hell and getting heaven and having God as my Father. Would you come when we close the service? Now before we stand and perhaps sing a closing hymn, I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're here today and you are someone who needs to come and talk about being saved, I'm going to include you in a closing prayer. Not by name, because I don't know your name anyway. Unless you're a shook, and then I just take a guess at which one you were. But I'm not going to call you out. Pastor's not going to come grab you. No one's going to touch you. No one's going to force you to do anything. I would like to pray that God would help you to be courageous and simply come and be let, let Pastor, myself, or one of the women talk to you about today receiving Jesus Christ. Right now, the only one looking in this room is me. Would you slip your hand up? Just wave it. Say, I need to talk. I will come. Pray for me that I'll have courage to come. Is, there's a hand there. It is of a little one, though. Is there another one? An adult, surely. In this crowd, there's someone here that's not born again. You've never come to Christ. Would you slip a hand up? Anyone in the room, just wave it. I'll pray for you. You don't have to come, but let me pray for you. Anyone? Preacher, I'd like to talk to you about this need I have. I, I heard what you said. Anyone else? Father, you know the hearts of everyone in this room. 
You know where we stand. Lord, I pray if anyone's here that doesn't know You through Your Son, I pray You'd convince them in their heart that when the service is over, to actually meet with us in that room and, Lord, talk about being saved. Oh, God, we give the service over to You now, trusting You to do what needs to be done. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Look at